the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We got a lot to talk about today. We'll get to all of that. I hope you had a great weekend, everybody, and I hope you will check in at ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up there for the daily email, the daily wink, as well as uh, look at all these great interviews. We got a couple of great ones coming up in a few moments. Uh, we will cover them. And last week, I had a number of... Um, uh, of interviews people kept asking me about. I forget now, was it Ted Malik about the German question? That was one. Uh, people were saying, hey, we were ahead of our, our time because now uh, Germany is making noise on the Ukraine problem. So head over there, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. Okay. Hey, coming into a new week, I, um, earlier on Monday, I was up on Capitol Hill and, um, the feeling, Amongst staffers, some Republicans, some Democrat staffers, I do have some friends that are Democrats, it's hard to believe, but uh, is that the Democrats are fighting amongst themselves. The coverage in the media is all about Republicans fighting. They're trying to cover the fact that at the Republican National Committee, uh, committee meeting, the uh, the win- so-called winter meeting, which happened in Utah uh, over the weekend, it usually happens, you get into town, when I was on the RNC, you'd get into town on Thursday um, excuse me, sometimes you get in Wednesday. Thursday evening would be the first um, uh, events, formal events. Then uh, Friday would be the actual meeting, and then you get out of town. Some people would stay until Saturday. So, but the actual meeting is Friday. And at the meeting this year, they censured, uh, they censured Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and I think rightly so, for serving on the January 6th committee which is just such a disaster. It's such a nasty committee. It's uh it's not it, it's not even um it's not even that it's a um partisan um it's it's not only that it's partisan. That's true, but it's worse because Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger decided to serve on there after the Republicans actually nominated five or six members and they were rejected by Pelosi. That's never that never happens when you start a committee and you say to the other side, go ahead and nominate some people. And the other side gives you some names. It's sort of just um, kind of tradition that you take the names anyway. So that's um, I, I wasn't unhappy about it. The media covered it like it was the end of the world. Here's a secret. Ninety five percent of Republicans don't really care what the RNC does. At its winter meeting. I mean, it's one thing what the RNC does at its, say, a nominating convention, right? Or at its um, uh, primary season. All of that is meaningful. But does anybody, I'm 95%, I mean, it's only like 5% of the Republicans that would even know there was a winter meeting. So it's silly, but it's being covered that way. Back to my point, up on Capitol Hill, the idea uh, that there's fighting amongst Republicans, it, it, it's not real because... 
the real battle is amongst the Democrats fighting each other over spending, over the liberal priorities, over all these things. And that's going on. And, you know, that's partly the, the, the uh, result of having power. When you have power and you have power in all three branches like they do, you have the ability to get stuff done. And when you don't get things done or what you do goes against, say, one wing or one uh, group in your party, well, that's what you get people. That's when you get people complaining. And so that's real. I've said this before. The Civil War... In this, in the, in the political parties, is in the Democrat Party. AOC, the Congresswoman from New York City, or where is she from? The Bronx, I think, it's the Bronx. She's headed down to Texas to run in a primary, a candidate against Henry Cuellar, who's a longtime, somewhat moderate Hispanic Democrat. That's the Civil War. Chuck Schumer is scared of a primary from AOC's side of the party because they're so much more liberal than he is. And he, even he is, and he's liberal. So that's the real uh, civil war going on at this point in the political parties. But that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about, and I don't even want to talk about Joe Rogan. I could talk about Joe Rogan. I, I, I support Joe Rogan. I support, you know, Joe Rogan is a certain type of character. He's a stand-up comedian. He's an MMA uh, fighting announcer. He's a uh, sort of libertarian, let people live kind of character. I don't subscribe. I don't ascribe. I, I don't support his opinions on lots of stuff. I think on drug use, I don't support it. I think on his ideas of marriage. I don't, think, I don't know. I, I, I've never, I've never listened to Joe Rogan past a couple of podcasts of a different people that of, of people I wanted to hear. But I certainly think he's within the, the the sort of world that we want to have free speech, and he is getting bludgeoned by a calculated effort of the powers that be, both the monetary, the people that want to stop him from making so much money because he just uses his podcast and dominates the audience of like everybody and also the left that why they don't like a guy that is unable to be sort of uh, pulled in and managed in terms of the doctrinaire positions you know he was a bernie supporter but he was not and i think he didn't say he didn't like trump but he does like things like america first he does like things like the the chinese are causing problems he does like things on covid where he says hey well you know let's talk to some of these other voices and hear what they have to say because they're big name uh, credentials. They have big names and credentials also. So uh, I like Joe Rogan and all that, but that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about right now is a simple phrase that I'm going to say to you, and I'm going to link it to Black Lives Matter. Okay, Black Lives Matter, one of their founders is going to jail for voter fraud. Now, she wanted to vote even though she's a felon, and she said she has the right to vote, so she's putting herself out there as a uh, protester. Now, I, I'm not against... Um, people who want to make an argument that you should never lose the right to vote. I don't agree. I think you should lose the right to vote if you do certain crimes. But that's at least an intellectual argument. There are people that say, hey, if you get convicted of a crime, you shouldn't lose your right to vote. That What they want, of course, is, you know, hundreds of thousands of people voting for prison and they tend to vote a certain direction. But I don't even I don't That's at least an argument. But you don't get to say the law says that you lose your right to vote and then you vote anyway. Now you're going to be convicted of another crime, and she was, so she's going to jail. And then there's a series of stories about the people who started various aspects of Black Lives Matter and their organizations making tons of money, tons of money, and, and spending it on houses and things like that. Things that are, none of it's illegal to buy houses, none of it. None of it's, it's not illegal to buy cars, it's not illegal to buy really nice clothes, none of that. It's just a question of when you raise the money 
for Black Lives Matter and spend it on things that don't quite seem consistent in terms of, you know, if you if you raised money for, I don't know, uh, pick a topic for, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 school lunches. And then it was found out that you're spending $10,000 a meal at the uh, highest end uh, restaurant in uh, Chicago or New York. That would be a bit of a scandal. Here's what we know. I want you to listen to this phrase. Eric Hoffer was a longshoreman and an autodidact, someone who taught himself how to write and read. Very interesting man. He wrote books. He died in about 1980. He was born in about 1900, maybe 1904. And in the 1950s, he became famous because Dwight David Eisenhower, who was then president, read his book and said to somebody, you ought to read this. But here's one of the phrases that he is so famous for. He said, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. Now, you see that? Follow that. Every great cause begins as a movement. Okay, so every great cause. If you have a cause, let's uh, let's what's the cause? Let's uh, uh, pick a topic. Conservatism. Yeah, conservatism begins as a movement. Okay, good movement. And then it becomes a business, and you watch Conservative Inc., people that are making money left and right on conservatism and then it degenerates into a racket and the racket stage is where the power of the people in office in this case republicans is used to further their own team their own side and here's where we get to black lives matter every great cause whether you think it's the greatest cause or not the idea of empowering people of all colors and backgrounds to feel good about themselves that's not a bad cause and it began as a movement And it degenerated, it became a business, and it degenerated into a racket. Now, you can argue, and we should argue, and some will, about, hey, wait, was it really a good cause? I don't really care to worry about that. It doesn't matter, because it it, it used a good cause, the language of a good cause. I mean, I think in many ways, the first, the founders of Black Lives Matter were kind of racist. But at least in some sense, if they were misguided, they had the sheen of a good cause, and it became a movement. Put aside, by the way, how it suddenly disappeared when the politics of the moment said it was okay for it to disappear. You know, it was all these things, Antifa and all these things, Black Lives Matter. They were all addressing the huge problems in America until what? Until those problems were solved? Doesn't look like it. It looks like they were just there until the election in 2020. And they've all sort of gone away. Every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business and degenerates into a racket. Think about it. There's a lot of ways, a lot of times, a lot of things, a lot of causes you can think about. Conservative Inc. You could think about sometimes even the good conservative pro-life movement. There's people in the pro-life movement. There's people in, the, in various conservative movements that become enamored with their own genius. They become enamored with their own angle and they want to enrich themselves. You could pick any topic. And one of the things I would tell you is critical race theory to me is an in is a you watch Merrick Garland's son-in-law. I think I assume he's a white guy, maybe he's not, but he's got he's making money off of CRT. CRT became a way for people who were using a cause. Oh, let's try to be colorblind, let's try to have people be good to each other, and we're gonna try and we're gonna use this cause as a racket. That's what you got there. All right, everybody, listen, I got to take a break. I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to talking to our next guest, Adam Ranjeri. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at Agency Partner Interactive down in Dallas, Texas. I received an email from somebody and they said, hey, you got to look at this. Look at the numbers on what's happening with the Olympic sponsors. And my listeners, Adam, have heard me talk about how this is the Omicron Olympics. I mean, it should be the embarrassment Olympics of the Chinese regime. Uh, But here we are, right? I mean, you know, you you got a bunch of uh, athletes that work their whole lives. You can't got to respect the work of the athletes. But a great question uh, that Adam is going to address is the Olympic sponsors. How do you sponsor? You pay gazillions of dollars years in advance. And here you are with this Olympics after all that's going on. So, Adam, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, doing great, Ed. Great to be with you. And, you know, definitely some important questions here. And, yeah, this Olympics is really one that I think – you know, it's it's obviously a very bright kind of point in the careers of these athletes, but it's also kind of one that has a great cloud above it. You know, what, why is the Olympics in Beijing? You know, it's it's a problem that I think we have to kind of really look to the IOC for for an explanation here. You know, it seems to me that uh, a lot of well, the Olympics, but also a lot of the big brands that support the Olympics, honestly, Ed, they're they're bought and paid for by China. And it's really unfortunate. We want to cheer on our athletes. We want to see our athletes take gold. We want to see our, our country dominate and do great things. And and certainly we want to support everything that our athletes can do. But, you know, when it comes to where are they going, going to compete? I mean, these guys are literally in danger now. We've seen even Nancy Pelosi sitting here saying, you know what, athletes, hold your tongues or else. <laughs> we, we don't know what the Chinese communist government will do to you. you know, they are going to be enforcing Chinese law. So, you know, on top of that too, Ed, like how do you, how do you police that? Right. Well, China is making every single athlete, every single person that's a part of the Olympics download an app to their smartphones. And they say it's supposed to be a COVID health tracking app, but people have already found vulnerabilities in this app that has a list of political keywords in there. So, you know, you have to expect now that the Chinese communist party is weaponizing the smartphones that you're taking with you to talk to your family to now monitor you to make sure that you are not going to become a political liability for, for them. You know, we're, we're dealing with a regime here that was just in the last few years, right? We've seen them uh, just really just see increasing aggression towards Taiwan. Uh, we saw Hong Kong lose every sense of, of free speech and free elections that they once had, uh, certainly un- under the British rule. And of course, we know China, right, as a, as a country, they've got concentration camps that are literally full of a million Uyghurs over in Xinjiang, where they have forced childbearing, forced child labor, forced uh, organ harvesting. And yet here we have Coca-Cola, right, an American company and a $2 billion partnership with a Chinese state-owned dairy company for the Olympics specifically. And, and here's the funny thing. Coca-Cola has a global head of human rights as a job title. So (laughs) this guy has nothing to say about all these poor folks living in Xinjiang being totally oppressed just because of who they are and who they and how they worship. Uh, We're talking again, Adam Rizari, and he's a chief marketing officer, agency partner, interactive also on Twitter at the Adam Riz, R-I-Z-Z. Adam, uh, the reality five years ago would have been that the big companies couldn't afford not to be in an Olympic like this because they need access to the Chinese markets. Now, five years later, we've all been more clear eyed on, I think, the threat and the problem of the Chinese regime. You know, and I I give I give credit to Trump, but it it just is also just the the ebb and flow of uh, politics. But right now, almost can you afford to be a sponsor? I mean, if you do this wrong, I mean, what actually let me ask it differently. What's the tension? Because if you want access to the markets, if you're Coca-Cola, it's billions 
billions of people, right? It's 1.2 billion people or whatever. I mean, oh yeah, they see it as their third biggest market. I mean, right. it's 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 huge dollars for for these for these companies, right? Right, right. Um, and, and they and they want a grab, right? They want that money, but. I mean, shoot, how do, these are American companies, first of all, or at least they once were. And the American market doesn't want to see these big brands sit here and be quiet about China's abysmal human rights record. They want these guys to just really to step up and do the right thing and say, hey, guys, this is wrong. You should not be doing this. You, you can't continue this way. But silence. Right. And, and why is there silence? Well, you know, you look at a lot of these companies, right? They are publicly owned companies, massive, massive investments from from Chinese uh, state actors. Right. So they're not really just American owned anymore, right? Yeah, maybe they were American made, but they're not American owned. They're global companies. And, uh, you, you know, just when you think about how these companies involve themselves with the Olympics to begin with, it's a big investment, $200 million to the IOC just to just to be a sponsor, right? right. And then there's the, the big deals that come on top of that. So, you know, these companies are very, very heavily invested with the IOC as is. But let's also not forget, the IOC is getting tons of money from the Chinese government as well, right? Right. They, and they want more of it. So when, when it comes to doing the right thing, you're just not going to see that from all these companies who for the past couple of years, we've seen them just wave the social justice flag, you know, but it seems like whatever's happening, you know, outside of our borders, they don't really care about. Uh, you, by, you, by the way, you mentioned top sponsors. So those who dished out uh, 200 million uh, for the Olympics, about Airbnb, Coca-Cola, Procter and Gamble, Visa, Nike, Delta Airlines, Salesforce, Comcast. Does anybody pay a price? I, I can't see it. Right. It doesn't look like anybody. I mean, Comcast may be because uh, viewership may be down. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what what is the price here? Right. I mean, definitely a, a price to the reputation. But, you know, these big brands are like Teflon, you know, like you fire a bullet at them and it just bounces right off. Nike, right? We've seen Nike for decades get heat for the way they, they manufacture products. Uh, and so it's just like you wonder, what is the repercussion going to be? We don't really see it, you know? And, and I'll be honest, as a marketing expert, I would say that a lot of the money that they dump into events like the Olympics, you know, they could just not make those marketing investments and still do just fine, right? Like Coca-Cola is not leveraging its Olympic sponsorship in the United States because it's a liability for them. They They really just care about penetrating that Chinese market. But you know, long term, what can the effects be? Well, you know, obviously, if if the heat kind of dials up between the United States and China, and then all of a sudden we are in some sort of conflict with China, God forbid. Well, I mean, at that point, you know, it's a big, big investment down the drain. But hey, at least they made a few bucks, you know, along the way. Um, I, I think it really just kind of tarnishes their ability to say that they're they're credible and reputable when it pertains to uh, caring about the community, to caring about the country, uh, and to caring about the individual. Hey, Adam, when you are watching this and I know you do a lot of media all, all over the place and, and when you're and you do um, you're speaking out public on this, where do you send people to to track this stuff? Is there is there an, a, a sort of reliable source on what's happening? I, and I guess it's a too broad a question in a way. But, you know, I more and more people say to me, well, I don't trust when I put on the TV to watch any of the cable news. I know I'm getting spun. Um, and so and, you know, especially when it comes to ad dollars, it's like right. uh, so wh- where do you bring encourage people to look well you know what you, you got to really use your heads here on this one and and you'll see that a lot of the big headlines from some of the major outlets are the same look to outlets like salem media for example right where you right. can go and find objective measures of what's going on here uh the the olympics here so we've heard a lot of discussions about russia 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 as it pertains to ukraine 
So you're literally seeing the media organizations that are invested in the Olympics. Their knowledge, they, they know that right now the American public doesn't want to see a lot of support for China. But they're like, if we can distract the public and make them more concerned about the Russia-Ukraine situation right now, then we can continue to make a buck over in China during the Olympics. And then after that, man, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, so don't, don't trust one source by any means. Look to, look to outlets like Salem Media. Look to more independent journalists. Um, and, and just use your minds and sort of kind of get as much data on the table as possible. And when you see an outlier, just look at the outlier and see if it makes any sense. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe it's, you know, like the lab leak theory, right? That was once, I guess, labeled debunked by the Washington Post. And then months later, it was like, oh, well, maybe the, maybe the Wuhan lab, maybe there's something to that. Maybe it didn't come from a, a bat. Um, you know, just really, really kind of explore and seek, seek to understand uh, why things are. Uh, again, Adam uh, Rizzeri and uh, his website, his excuse me, excuse me, his Twitter feed at the Adam Riz, R-I-Z-Z. And also you can uh, go to his um, his work agency dot com. Learn more about him um, is the So will this be a failure? In other words, um, if you're running Coca-Cola and you're saying, well, I'm still getting uh, like in China, are, are they going to be is everyone going to watch it in China? They're probably going to be told to. Right. So if you're Coca-Cola, you're saying, well, I may not be getting as big a ratings in uh, in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago this weekend, but I'm getting, you know, 800 million people to watch it in China. That's what I wanted anyway. Is that so? Oh, yeah. They're going to the, win no matter what is the point. The, the, exactly right. The win for, for the win for Coca-Cola, the win for Visa, Nike, really for these guys, it's the win the, domestic as it pertains to China, right? Getting more people to, to get their products there. And they already, they're already sitting around like, like hype teams and, and basically food truck type of things around the country and, and passing out swag and things like that. So the win for these guys really is just gaining favor with the Chinese market. They don't care so much about really the fans back at home. It's really unfortunate. Hmm. That's the uh, that's what you have to wonder. I mean, you have to realize is that we could all boycott it and say we're not going to watch. It. I haven't watched a bit of it. And I, in fact, my usually, frankly, usually my kids or somebody would be watching it. And we have I don't even know if it's is it on right currently. Is it on now? Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. Right. Like I, 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 I love Team USA and I always have. But I, I just cannot watch these games. Uh, it makes me think about those big companies that were sponsoring and doing business with Nazi Germany before World War II. I just I have a really hard time watching this Olympics. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right. Adam Rosari, thank you very much for coming on again. He's a chief marketing officer, agency partner, interactive. He's also active on Twitter and also over on some uh, he's helps on a podcast and around the place. So track him down. Thank you for your time. We'll have you on again and uh, appreciate the update. Ed, thank you, sir. All right, Adam, we'll take a break. Everybody will take a break. And don't forget, we'll get this interview posted over at ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com uh, later on, so you can watch it there and listen there. And uh, also, we'll put a, send it out on our email. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, you can sign up there for our daily email. We'll take a break, everybody. Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. So our next guest is Dr. Marina Hoffman. Uh, she is an author, Women in the Bible, Small Group Bible Study, a book out in 2021. She teaches at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and she's the editor, chief editor of the Castle Quay Books. And uh, you can find out more on uh, Instagram at Marina Hoffman, one F in Hoffman. Seems like that's worth saying. And she's been, uh, she's, uh, been a guest. I think she's been a guest with Andrea Kay. Uh, she's also a big um, uh, one of her fans is Noah Dingley, our great producer. And so uh, welcome to the program, Marina. How are you? Good. Thanks so much. And it's great to be with you and your listeners. Well, thank you for coming on. And so uh, the 
the, we're going to talk about the Freedom Convoy in, in Canada. When I first started to book you a couple of days ago, it feels like uh, events are changing fast. What's your impression of where things are now in Canada? And the Freedom Con- Convoy, the police are cracking down on fuel. It's pretty cold in Canada. So that's one that's obviously a real thing. Uh, what, what's your sense on where things are? Yeah, that's right, Ed. So when we connected on Friday, just uh, three days ago, the chief police was saying that there's been no crime, no arrests made, no violence. And in fact, the crime rate of the whole city of Ottawa was decreasing. And you can see endless uh, social media videos of all the great things they're doing, cleaning up the streets, even though... Uh, The garbage cans have been taken away and nonsense like this. But, Ed, over the weekend, the police chief has changed his tune. So the prime minister of all things, uh, he wanted to bring in the military and all this. They refused. And a real nasty side of the police in Ottawa has come out. They started to take away the gasoline from trucks. And you can imagine how angry that made them. Many of these truckers said their own gasoline they had purchased had been confiscated or you might say stolen. So, (laughs) you know, and Ed, another piece of this story that just makes it horrible is that the government, the Trudeau government went in and booked all the empty rooms in the hotels and ended the reservations of people who had booked before. So what are these people supposed to do? But uh, they said as soon as the police left, a bunch of the organizers came in and replaced the gasoline on the spot to all the truckers. So it has a happy ending, but not a nice picture of the police. Where is it going to go? Where does it end up at this point? I mean, can you tell? I mean, where does this, you know, usually when you get such a mass movement, you have sort of some reaction that says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And you try to take the energy out of it. it. It feels like everybody's digging in. I mean, where do you think it ends up? Oh, yeah. Well, if you're looking for compromise, I mean, that is not the narrative of this convoy. They started out a couple weeks ago saying we just want the mandates dropped for the truckers. And very soon when they saw all the support of Canadians and really the world cheering them on, they said, you know what, we're not leaving till there's freedom for every single Canadian. And they have not budged at all. And yet the prime minister is not even meeting with them. He's gone in hiding, as we all say. So it's not a good scene, but those truckers are not going to leave. And they say until there's freedom for every single Canadian. And then, Ed, they're going to head down to Washington. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. We can talk about that in a moment. But before we get to that, the the, the leader of the Conservative Party was tossed out um, as the head of the Conservative Party. Now, Americans have to sort of adjust their mindset. In some ways, you know, these parliamentary parliamentary governments, um, you know, you have a whole bunch of parties. You know, you have there's not just two like we have. So but what does this mean? I know uh, in our back and forth on email, you, you know, you refer to it as huge. What, and is it is it is it the end of the the, the uh, leader's name is O'Toole? Is it an ending because of this, or is it an ending because of other aspects, other factors? Yeah, Ed, absolutely. Imagine when all the representatives in the government do not speak for freedom. And that's where we've been in Canada. They've all been cowardly. They've all maybe hinted at, we hope COVID's over. No one has stood up. So the conservatives now have a voice with this convoy and they've said enough. They kicked out the leader and the interim leader, Candace Bergen, she has called for all the mandates to end. So thankfully every Canadian now can rally behind one Uh, party and this leader and you know what they say finally they have someone to vote for not simply vote against everyone else and the person who's put his name up to run he is also conservative and wanting to see an end to all the mandates across the country 
How does Trudeau hold on in these situations? Is, is, is Canada just sort of, you know, fully center left or whatever, however the phrase would be? Is that, I mean, because it feels like he's sort of, it feels like he's not, not I don't mean it to be too harsh, but it doesn't feel like he's sure footed in anything. No, and he has taken advantage of the nice, peaceful nature of Canadians. And now, of course, they've had enough. But there's another side to this story, and that is the fines that the government has levied on people. And you know what it's like if you have two or three little kids and you're maybe a one-income family, you are not going to take off your mask when there are hundreds of dollars in fines waiting for you. That's just unrealistic. So they've really exploited the nature of people, and they he's assumed that no one would rise up, and it's been true for two years. And then the fines have made it impossible for young families to put themselves at risk. So it's been a terrible situation. And then you look at the last two weeks, what has Trudeau done? He's done nothing. He went away into isolation. He's not speaking up except to condemn all the racism and violence of which there has been none, Ed. Well, and um, so now you mentioned earlier, and 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 um, by the way, oh, let me ask you this question because I get this from people. Uh, we're talking again with Marina Hoffman, a PhD, who is um, a professor as well as an author and an editor. Um, and you can follow her Instagram at Marina Hoffman, one F on that Hoffman. Um, where do you I, this? I ask it a lot of my folks say, where do you wh- ask me to ask you and people like you, where should they go to find out what's really happening? You know what? Because what, what, you can't go to CNN. You really even can't go to Fox News necessarily. You sort of. So where do you say to people to find out what's happening? Yeah, well, on the American side, Fox News, I think, has been very fair. Good. Yeah, I've been reading all the articles. I haven't. I haven't found anything that wasn't true, except maybe they've underestimated the numbers a bit. But that's really hard to get a firm grasp of. But, you know, it's been covered at the night by uh Tucker, Hannity, Laura Ingram. So I think they've done a fair job. But when you look at Canada, we're we're in the same situation as the Americans. The mainstream media is all about this racist, violent little group of people and the horror they put on Ottawa. It's terrible. So, you know, you follow something like True North Media or Rebel News Media and you get a very opposite perspective. Yeah, it is. It's a really it's a it's a it's a challenge. All right. Now, next question for you. Um. Why hasn't this been happening in America? You know, there have been plenty of voices who have said we've had enough. There are some students now in the last week or so, you know, high school students who have sort of marched out. But there hasn't been even the, the a few weeks ago, the, the, the media, of course, seized on one comment by Robert Kennedy Jr. And, and went wild, you know, saying how out of touch it was. Of course, there was 17 other speakers and and, you know, 100,000 people. But there isn't the same. I mean, it's funny how the Canadian truckers caught the imagination. Why is there not something similar in America? Yeah, Ed, what a fascinating question. And I think it comes down to something close to my heart and my own platform is that I think that we are told all the time that we're just a little nobody and we can't make a difference. And how incredible that in America, I'll say the moms rising up in meetings and the fathers too, but moms are so close to my heart. They have been starting to make a difference. And I think the truckers woke up one day and said, you know what, we're delivering everything. And if we stop our truck, nothing happens in the city. And I think they realized as average people doing their ordinary job, they can make a profound difference. And Ed, I love this because it's biblical. That's my platform. This is what women in the Bible did. So how incredible that people today are realizing that sometimes they might be profound found great leaders like David, right? In the Bible. And yet there's a lot of us who just doing our simple job. And let me say a little um, story of myself, because while speaking on this, 
I'm always called to do it myself, but I went to like, I don't wear a mask. I have a three and a half year old. She and I refuse to wear a mask, but it really came to a point when we're at the doctor's office. What do we do? You know? So I walked in there after talking to my husband for weeks saying, if it comes to it, am I willing to walk away from this doctor? And they decided I was well, Ed, long story short, 45 minutes later, they let me in without a mask because there's no law to point to. And here in Florida, where we're free, there's no state law to point to. So sometimes we can be free ourselves, just like the truckers, right? We can make a stand and then others around us say, wait, I can do that too. So I hope this is a movement that sweeps the world really to realize the power we have in our ordinary acts. It um it is and but the question I when I get like let me tell you this uh and again uh, Marina Hoffman is our guest and um you can uh, track her Instagram Marina Ho- at Marina Hoffman also womeninthebible.info a website um it feels I say this a lot to people it feels like people are frozen by the sort of inertia of standing still. And there's this sort of sense, you know, how hard it is when you first wake up in the morning, you got to get out of bed, right? And then once you get out of bed, you're on your way a little bit, right? And you kind of, someone someone once said, if you're laying on the couch and you're not doing anything, move a little finger. If you just move your little finger, that's starting to move. And then you keep going, right? And hopefully that's the idea of getting, you know, an object in motion stays in motion. Feels like in terms of leadership, a lot of our institutions and individuals are not in motion. They're sort of stuck. And I've, that, I, I think it has to do with the modern moment. It has to do with pandemic, but it has to do with technology. It also has to do with lack of faith, I suspect. But that challenge of getting people moving, it almost doesn't matter what you do as long as you just do, right? Ed, I love that. And, you know, I think another narrative, especially amongst people of faith, is this idea of don't be afraid, right? That somehow we have to overcome all our fear and trust God, meaning have no fear, and then we can do anything. But Ed, that's not my story. I do everything in a lot of fear. And we see, again, you know, look at our models in the Bible. They were afraid, but we can move forward and have courage in faith and in God, even when we have fear. And I think that's another story that we're not told, right? We can't do anything. This society is telling us we can't have a voice. We'll be shut down. But what does it matter? What does it matter if we have fear or not? Just standing up, standing up for what we believe in. And what's our motivation, Ed? I mean, if you have kids, whether your own nieces, nephews, just looking at what's happening in the world right now, hopefully the motivation of children who don't have a voice, who don't have power, will push us forward, whether we're afraid or not, or whether we get canceled or not. That's right. I think that is exactly it. Sometimes that's part of the trick too. your point is uh, find the motivation for you. But all right. Well, listen, Marina Hoffman, thank you very much. As as promised by our great Noah Dingley, you are a great guest. Very good on the radio. Thank you. And again, on Instagram uh, at Marina Hoffman, also women in the Bible.in. I appreciate it very much. We'll have you on again. Thanks, Ed. And for all your listeners, remember, whatever God calls you to, you can do it and just do it whether you have fear or not. Stand up. There you go. Well, thank you. Thanks, Marina. We will. Yep. And don't forget, everybody, we'll post this over on social media, this interview. If you want to go back and listen, go to uh, on social media and also ProAmericaReport.com. And uh, we'll take a quick break, everybody. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The left's promotion of censorship has shifted into high gear. A few decades ago, liberals were in the vanguard of demanding and defending freedom of speech. Free speech became the liberal battle cry in defense of everything from public vulgarity to pornography to communism, all under the guise of not silencing viewpoints because of the objectionable content. 
in a shocking reversal and quickly, leftists now openly advocate for censorship of views they dislike. Of course, they still have no problem with vulgarity, pornography, and communism, but now traditional family values have become a viewpoint they want to silence in the marketplace of ideas. Things are even more bleak in places like Europe, where there is no First Amendment freedom. New rules drafted by the European Union call for the punishment of disfavored online speech. There's nothing free about this push for censorship. The commission recently approved censorship of online speech that is critical of LGBTQ+, which can mean anything contrary to traditional gender norms. These new rules against free speech on the Internet take aim at vocal conservatives in Poland and Hungary, places where they have been unsupportive of the direction in which the EU is trying to take these pro-Trump countries. At a convention in Istanbul last year, the additional Eastern European countries of Bulgaria and the Czech Republic also pushed back against the attempt by the EU to erode family values. Like Russia, all of these formerly communist countries have seen firsthand the immense harm that liberals cause, and those countries have no interest in returning to the bad old days. Communism in its purest form calls for the abolition of the family unit. Families have a tendency to work for the good of their own rather than the good of the state, and that's something communists can't tolerate. Yet economic pressure keeps these formerly communist nations tethered to the EU despite the threat it poses to their sovereignty. These bastions of family values will one day realize that their deal with the devil of globalism was a truly bad one. I pray they do so before history repeats itself. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. On college campuses and social media, in boardrooms and the public square, conservative voices are being silenced. What happened to free speech or to the First Amendment? At phyllisschlafly.com, we're still listening. So let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for joining us and come back again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, finishing up today, uh, let me say, um, let me refer you to, uh, here's what you need to do. Here's a window. What you need to do, read this book. It's called Hazardous Duty, An American Soldier in the 20th Century. Major General John K. Singlob, U.S. Army retired, along with Malcolm McConnell. He was his co-author, helped him write it. It was written in the late 1980s. It's a memoir of General Singlob, who we referred to earlier, who passed away just uh, two days, two to three days ago uh, at 100 years old. And he wrote in, in, in the late 80s, Hazardous Duty, about his career in the military, his career in the World War II. Uh, many years later, he went back to World War II, and he was in one of the villages that he helped liberate and in the French uh, resistance. They named a street after him. Can you imagine? They named a street after him. He met his wife, uh, told me once he walked up to uh, an old timer uh, and asked. Uh, they, they didn't. I don't, I don't think she thought that they necessarily knew each other, but they knew who he was. Anyway, what an extraordinary life he had. And uh, and so that book is really special. I have multiple copies of Hazardous Duty, an American soldier in the 20th century. It's actually not that easy to get. You can get it on Amazon and other places. Um, it's I think it's technically out of print, uh, but there are copies floating around. And um, 
It's a big book. It's about almost 600 pages, as I recall. It's not the easiest read. It's kind of um, plodding. Uh, but it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Yeah, almost 600 pages. I just looked it up. And uh, General Jack Singlob, again, the book is called um, Hazardous Duty. <clears throat> and it opens with, you'll be interested to hear, uh, a critique of Ollie North uh, and how Ollie North got caught and what he did after he got caught. Uh, kind of a, make you smile and make you shake your head to realize the... Um, what it all meant. So what you need to do, get this book, Hazardous Duty. You won't regret it. You'll, it's a, it is an incredibly important part of history. Uh, I, I, I have argued with people that General Jack Singlob is one of the more important uh, soldiers in American history. I mean, obviously, Washington's above that and all. But Singlob was a battler in World War II, both in Europe and in Japan, he also served in Korea. He also served in Vietnam. He also was in the military fighting back against the sort of left-leaning policies that were happening. And then afterwards, he's kept fighting the communists. So by the time the wall falls in Berlin and the Soviet Union collapses, he's been a hero in fighting this transition from 1940, 1941 or two until 1991. 50 years, probably the most important 50 years in American history, helped found the OSS slash CIA. I mean, extraordinary guy. Anyway, it's a it's a great book. I hope you'll read it, and I hope you will uh, enjoy it. Hazardous Duty by General Jack Singlob. All right, speaking of hazardous duty, thank you to our great Noah Dingley, the producer. He keeps our show going. He does a great job. Thank you, Noah, as always. Thank you to Joanna Spilger, uh, associate producer of the program, who does a great job, especially with our guests. And thank you especially for listening to the program. We will be back tomorrow. Um, don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. I'll post up some of their my interviews, uh, uh, excuse me, my um, uh, some of my uh, commentaries on General Singlob. And I do have a lengthy interview with him that I did, kind of an oral history years ago. i got to pull that out. So thank you for listening. Ed Martin here in a ProAmerica Report. Back tomorrow. Talk to you then. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs>